1: Welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat Conversations with Filmmakers, where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. We will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I will provide you with guests and information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a filmmaker. Or a fan. So now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. Now, Movie Beat is really designed to be a resource for you, and that is why I connect you up with professionals who are making it happen. I want to thank all of my guests who have appeared on Movie Beat and have talked about film and television and acting and the the different aspects of, 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 of the movie business and the entertainment business. And I want to thank all of you, my listeners and readers, for tuning in and for spreading the word about Movie Beat by Twitter, by Facebook, by MySpace by your emails, and I want to thank you for all the phone calls and the feedback and the support. Keep in mind that the official website is www.rexsikes.com, and on that website there are over 50-plus interviews with uh, incredible filmmakers that I know you're going to want to listen to, so you can listen to them at any time, uh, at your convenience, but go back. It truly is a master class of filmmaking right here on the Internet at Rex Sykes Movie Beat. Now, you can also subscribe to Movie Beat by clicking on the RSS feed right there on the welcome page, and that way you're always going to be updated to changes at the website, new cast and crew listenings, new up-and-coming events, and uh, the up-and-coming interviews, so you'll never have to miss an interview ever again. So be sure you subscribe at RexSykes.com. Now, if you're listening to this live, uh, keep in mind that you can friend us right there at the site. You can click a button and you'll be a friend, or you can or you can make it a favorite, and you can leave comments there, and we always appreciate your comments. Also, I have opened the chat window, so if you have questions for my guest, feel free to type them into the chat window, and we're going to try and ask them live on air. But also, you can email me in advance at uh, by going to the website and, and using the contact uh, email there. Email your questions by putting the guest name in the headline or in the subject header and then uh, put your questions in the body and uh, we'll ask them on, on, on air. Um, if you're listening to the Archive Show, as I said, keep in mind that there are lots of other great interviews there. Just go to the interview page, scroll through, look at the names of the guests and the titles and, uh, and select from that. Before I bring on my guest today, whether you're listening live or to an archived interview, thanks again so much for all of your support uh, by the Internet, by phone, and and in person. Uh, Just a couple of uh, announcements. Uh, One is that in Chicago, on November 3rd, Tuesday, November 3rd, uh, it's the first Tuesdays with the Midwest Independent Film Festival, their first annual uh, advertising community shorts night, Uh, uh, they're going to be screening uh, a Sundance Grand Jury Independent Spirit Award nominee, The Pool. And so that's coming up on the uh, 3rd of February, the 3rd of November. Uh, Just go to the Hot and Fun blog at uh, RexSykes.com on the Movie Beat site, and uh, you'll get all the information there. Also, I got in the mail, someone sent me uh, a a copy of uh, the A to Z Guide to Film Terms. Again, it's A to Z Guide to Film Terms by Tim Mashansky. I hope I said his name right. Uh, and it's a, it's a handy little pocketbook. It literally fits in your pocket, and it's, it, it is terms that are used in the movie business, whether it's a camera department or makeup or um, the grip department, uh, anything you can think of uh, from A to Z, the terms are in there, and you can find out more about that at uh, filmterms.com. That's F-I-L-M-T-E-R-M-S.com. Uh, I'm not getting paid to say that. I just uh, got the book. Uh, as kind of a preview copy, I found it uh, a good book to have, a good resource, and I wanted to share that with the, my listeners here on MovieBeat. I am thrilled to have back today as my guest, uh, Mr. Scott Rosenfeld. He's one of Hollywood's most successful independent producers. Uh, he's produced uh, movies such as Smoke Signals, Home Alone, Mystic Pizza, Teen Wolf, Extremities, uh, and many, many other films. Uh, Home Alone is one of the highest grossing films of all time. And has generated over a billion dollars worldwide, and uh, he's uh, generously donated his time in, in previous two interviews, and we're lucky to have him back today to continue our discussion on producing and making movies. Scott, how are you this morning?
0: Good, good, uh, good to talk again.
1: It is good to talk with you, and and uh, I'm glad that you're back, and uh, and hope all is well. And um, we were we've been talking about making movies and producing movies, and I'm I'm, um, again, thrilled to have you here. Uh, perhaps what we could do this morning is to just talk about what it's like, well, I, I had the A to Z terms there, well, from A to Z, how, what it's like to be a producer to produce movies, what 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 the process involves, if you would take us through that perhaps, uh, you know, however you choose, step by step, and then um, and would you include maybe examples of challenges or or opportunities that came from producing some of your own movies like Home Alone or Mystic Pizza or any of any examples that you might have
0: Well uh you know a producer's job is is I don't know that everybody completely understands it because a lot of people outside of the industry see it as a um you know the person walking around with a bag of money but but really you know the important part of producing is is you know first identifying a project Second um identifying the proper place for it to go, what kind of financing it entails, you know what the talent needs to be attached to it, and all of those aspects of of putting a project together in its initial stages um, you know and 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 it it varies from being the producer whose project it is to being a producer who's hired, and and that changes very much. You know, I've been involved in projects where I've I've been there from A to Z because it was my project, and I've been involved in projects where I've been hired to produce the film. And sometimes certain tasks are the same, and other times they're different. Um, You know, on Home Alone, I was brought in by John Hughes, who had wanted my partner and I to produce the movie. And, you know, he kind of... He was very generous about giving us full reign to really do our jobs and to make sure the movie got made. At the same time, he was there as the you know, conduit and the umbrella to the studio because he had the relationship with the studio at the time, which started out as Warner Brothers and ended up as 20th Century Fox, which is a sort of a a story that that a lot of people know a little bit about and not everybody knows the whole story but uh... was very interesting to be to be involved in a project that one studio really wanted to make but had a had an expectation of a budget level uh... which was a little lower than than ultimately the budget of the film and and you know warner brothers never really wavered off of this particular number that they had in their heads about what, what they thought Home Alone should cost. And, and when, we, when we got hired and put the film into production and we were in Chicago prepping the film, um, you know, we, we weren't really aware of this number that they had in their heads. Nobody really told us. So when we turned in our budget, which frankly wasn't that much higher, it sent shockwaves through the studio which we didn't understand because you know we just thought we were hired to make a movie, and as it turned out, Warner Brothers uh, decided while we were in pre-production to to stop making the movie, and um, at the same time, right on the heels of that happening, another studio, 20th Century Fox, which was a uh, Joe Roth had just started running the studio, and he was very interested in in just picking up the project and running with it and ran with it at our budget, the budget that we had proposed, because it wasn't very high. And, you know, to this day, I think there's probably... I don't know who's at Warner's anymore that were involved back then, maybe some of the production people. I think all of the lead executives are all different, but, but I know for years they, you know, it became a model for maybe, maybe everybody should look at something a little bit more cl- closely before they pass on it. Uh, it was just a, a very interesting example of you know ultimately a little bit of short-sightedness on something that uh, turned out to be obviously a blockbuster.
1: Absolutely, and, and I, I imagine that uh, there's no shortage of short-sightedness um, when you're pursuing projects oftentimes.
0: Yeah, and and you know, to some extent, you, you you know, as a filmmaker, you fight for your film, uh, and as a producer, you fight to make sure that people understand your film. And I think that's the biggest thing. And when and when you know you you find a studio or a financing organization that just doesn't get it, you know, I I it's it it feels you know you say to yourself, my God, you know, is there something I did wrong, or well, why don't they get this? And you just have to learn. Kind of how to frame things and realize that there's somebody out there probably for the film, and it's just not that place. And and if you spend too much time focused on on you know each individual place place and why they passed, you know it's debilitating because you know the industry is based on you know the majority of people passing, and uh, you know it's one of the it's like a, the sports metaphor which I think I've said before, but you know you can you can be one out of a thousand you know instead of one for 3 and one for one for 3 gets you into the hall of fame in baseball but in in the movie business you can have 900 people say no and the 901st person can say yes and you're a genius so you just have to keep pushing for the people that understand the vision of the film and understand you know what you're trying to do but you know these uh, each place has each place, each funding organization, you know, that's a that's a film company has its, you know, quirks and reasons they green light films and reasons they don't and one of the reasons Warner Brothers was so nervous was that they had they had constantly been known as the studio of big stars. So Clint Eastwood and Mel Gibson, they were making those kinds of pictures and we came along with this movie with the the star was a nine year old boy who nobody knew. So they were very, very, very nervous about that model. It just wasn't a model internally that people understood very well, and probably their their distribution people probably weighed in you know in a, in, a, in a heavy way to to really talk about that. So they were very, very nervous about that, and that's why they kept pushing the budget down so low because they were just afraid you know their model was to open a movie with a with a movie star. And and I think Home Alone kind of, you know, is in the early days, in the early 90s, was a film that helped kind of break that model a little bit, you know. Well,
1: could, would you then say as a producer today, having had that experience back then, that it would benefit any um, new producers, I, I don't want to say just novice producers, but any, any producers to to do their homework about the kind of, uh, movies, you know, a studio might release, or or what their criterion, you know, would be, or criteria would be for, you know, accepting a project, kind of to, you know, do your legwork in advance so that you know who to pitch and how to pitch and and where to pitch.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you're focused on a particular project that's that's a studio film, I think you have to understand, you know, the current. Um, you know the executives who are there currently. What's their track record for the things they've greenlit or the things they've taken responsibility for? What's what's the overall history of the studio, at least in recent you know terminology? And and go go to the right place because you know you find that studios do have personalities and. You know, it's changed. I mean, MGM, of course, many, many, many years ago was a place where you made musicals. Well, you know, if you talk to executives there now, they, some of them probably don't even don't even know that. But but they the the executives do create an environment of a certain kind of film that they want to make. You know, and and you should if if you're going to go that way that route, um, you have to really understand them because people do do who do that all the time do say. Oh, I don't think that's for Colombia, and now uh, that that's something we're going to take that to Paramount, but I, we're not going to take that to Fox, because because they do know, and you do you can't just be willy nilly about it because, you know, you can waste a lot of time pitching and thinking about something that isn't going to happen. It really is too much of a waste of time.
1: Uh, thanks, I appreciate that very much. Um, you now you also mentioned that you know the financing side of it, and uh, you know. You've been around for some time producing, you know, these movies and and successful movies. So you've seen how the industry has changed and and how financing and distribution, I guess, modes and models have changed. Could you uh, speak to those issues as as we currently
0: find them? Sure. Well, I think the biggest issue right now for most filmmakers is distribution. Yeah, you know, I, you know pu- putting aside the issue of actually getting your movie financed, which is which is never easy under any circumstances. But I think the reason it's gotten so much harder in recent history is because um, you know distribution has gotten so difficult for theatrical films, and you know the the concept of of I mean, people aren't just rushing to studios to finance their movies. Anymore because the studios are making a, you know generally a certain kind of movie. They're making 2012 and you know the kinds of films that really aren't based on vision. It's not based on a filmmaker's vision. I've written the screenplay or I'm thinking about making this movie. I mean those those are big you know entertainment you know roller coaster ride movies. So, the majority of films are being made by you know companies one tier down that have financing that are well funded but are but are and have distribution deals at studios but aren't studios or they're being funded through you know foreign sales and and combinations of funding sources that allow you know films in the you know ten ten five to ten and ten to twenty million dollar range get made so i I think you know right now, I think the biggest challenge. For everybody is is you know money is 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 is, is not as it, it, it's a, the money that's available for motion picture funding is the same money that's available in the rest of the world, which means not very much, and a lot of the equity funds and a lot of people who would normally spring for you know one million two million five million you know has dried up. It's just been very 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 difficult and uh, hasn't happened that much and it make, it makes it a challenge. I mean, I'm working on a movie right now that I'm putting together with my partner and we've been um, planning on shooting in Connecticut relatively soon, and Meg Ryan's involved in the project and we, we were because we had a couple names, we were able to begin the process of actually going to the industry through foreign sales and some other aspects. but but it, it, you know hitting the finish line, it is still a challenge. It's still a challenge because you know it's it's the nature of the way the industry is right now, and um, you know it, it, there's a there's like a, a push to keep things like very very small, really small, which like under three million, which doesn't mean you can't make a good movie for under three million dollars. It just means you have to make a certain kind of movie for under three million dollars, or. Well, we're big studio films, but it's like the entire middle ground, and the middle ground is a very wide range. I mean, sort of jokingly, between three and, you know, 15 million dollars. It's like nobody wants to play there because they feel like it's a very difficult place to be. I find for my background that that if I'm doing a movie for between 5 and 10 million dollars it's going to be somebody else's you know 15 million dollar movie that it's going to be able to compete with studio pictures that it's going to have the quality of a studio film but you know at a fraction of the cost but there's just a tendency in the industry right now to be pushing to you know for for mainstream projects to just be pushing the numbers up and up and up and the problem with that is is that ultimately only a really small group of people, producers, writers, directors, get to make those movies because the studios can't make that many. They can only make a few of those because they're so big. So what do you see? You, you go to the theater and you see on the bigger movies, you see you know sort of the same people generally. I mean, I always joke going to the movies, you see the same composer do three movies at three different studios, but, but all the big movies. And, you know, where's everybody working? How's everybody going to work? There's a lot of people out of work. You know, people don't like to talk about it much. And you call agencies, and when you're working on a film, and every, it always sounds like everybody's busy. But the truth is there's a lot of people available, and there's a lot of people not working on, in crews. And and it's it's a tough time in the industry because the financing – hasn't found its legs yet in in sort of a new environment, a new distribution environment that everybody's searching for hasn't really hit. So, you know, everybody's kind of treading water right now, and that that makes it right now a very, very difficult time um, unless you're making, you know, very, very, very small movies where you've been able to raise the money through private sources or friends or family, which people do do. Um, but but what happens with those movies is chances are getting a theatrical release is going to be very difficult. So it's a, you know, a lot of people are just trying to figure
1: out where the industry's going. Well, and it seems that I guess the recent report said DVD sales are down. I mean that the, right. I guess people are are opting for other avenues for seeing their movies. But there was there was some been some recent stuff about DVD down. So the small small movies end up going straight to DVD, typically, and then DVDs aren't selling. So I guess it does.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, the the back revenue, the backstop revenue, the ancillary revenue that people hoped for and planned for, and expected, has fallen off. So that you know, even if you know people would say, well, you make the movie for five million, but if it doesn't do that well theatrically, you know, within two years. You'll climb back up at some point, you know, on, on DVD sales and putting foreign aside. But when that starts to fall away, so you know, that's that's what's making the model, the model for everybody who are making movies more difficult. Which is why people start saying, well, just either do it for for nothing, so that so that even if you make one sale, at least you can make something back, or or you know, do it for over ten, put movie stars in your film. And at least you have a chance, you know, over two or three years to make your money back through foreign and on a lot of other sources. But it's, it, it's, you know, it's, it's making it hard to make, to take chances. It's making it hard to make the kind of movies that, you know, filmmakers really feel they can make. And, I mean, look, the Coen brothers just put out a movie, um, A Serious Man, that... <clears throat> Only they would get to put out. They get to make a movie for essentially a studio, and they have no no names in it. But it's because it's a Cohen brothers film, and, and you know hopefully it's a good movie. And, and but but would anybody else get to do that? Not at that level. That movie, if it was made by a newer filmmaker, would be probably somebody would say if you can make that film for you know two or three million dollars with that cast, you know we'll maybe we'll finance it, maybe. So it's it's uh it's a frustrating time.
1: With uh, with with all that in mind and the notion that you know people are suggesting you know you make something for 3 million or less have you gleaned any idea of of what you know I mean obviously the the large budget there's a formula kind of studio blockbuster pick you know on the one end but on the low end you know if it's with uh an unknown cast or uh, or some known cast were under three million dollars. Is there a particular I want to state to ask it, but a genre or a particular theme or a particular type of movie that that it seems that people are distributors are are wanting to be made. Uh,
0: I, I think I think for for newer filmmakers and for novice filmmakers. I mean, ultimately, I I, I believe it it it. It, what usually you see is something that pops is something that has really sort of a new vision, a new look on the world, a new take on the world, and those are the independent films that pop through. You know, we we felt that way when we made um, Smoke Signals. You know, we had made a film about Native Americans in, in, a, in a context that people hadn't really ever seen, and it, was, it had a, a, a strong universal theme, but it also had a very strong quality of of, you know this indigenous group and what they were like and and it it surprised people it it was like oh I'd never seen that before I'd never seen Native Americans be like that and boy that was different I thought they all you know sat in sweat lodges all the time I didn't know they, they were like the rest of us and I think films you know in more recent history you know it always Juno comes to mind consistently because it was a new take and a fresh take on a story that you know could have been a could have been a lifetime movie but it wasn't a lifetime movie because it had a very fresh take on on a subject and so i think the best independent films to a certain extent you know don't really try to mimic you know studio films because they can't compete you can't make an action film big enough you can't do any of the things that is, you know the genres that work Romantic comedy and all of that are are tougher at the the very low end, you know, at the under three million dollar end. I think I think most of the good films are things that surprise people, that show a new vision, show a fresh look at an old subject, and those are the kinds of films that tend to pop as smaller independent films and tend to do well at the festivals and actually do, you know, tend to get picked up by distributors, which of course is harder but it, they those are the
1: ones that stand out because they literally stand out in the crowd so today it's much harder to get a distribution deal unless you have you know names in the cast or name director like you mentioned the Cohen brothers or something along those lines um, is that is that then the the method of I guess the method of, of the desired method now is, or the preferred method now is, uh, film festivals. In, in order to go screen your movie at a film festival, get accepted, and hope that a buyer picks it up, or, or, or can we still find distributors who will advance something?
0: Uh, I think for for smaller films and for for newer filmmakers, you know, it, it's tough to get those advance. You're you're not really going to get a domestic advance because. You know that's based on the, the cast, of course, but it's also a lot of times based on the director. If it's a new director, they're they're very loath to come in early. They're, they'll they'll tell everybody, we can't wait to see your film. We can't wait. You know, we'd like to look at it as soon as you're done. But I always joke. You know, we we when people say that to me, I say, well, we have that deal with everybody. You know, that's that's not a unique deal. Um, they, it, it, it's very difficult, very, very, very difficult to have a, a domestic distributor come into a project when they don't know the filmmaker's work. And, uh, you know, if the actors aren't quite big enough to, to just sustain it on that level, they, they'd they rather sit back and wait, and they'd rather, you know, pay a little bit more for something they can see rather than commit themselves to, to be way into something that they don't really want to be involved in. So I think realistically, domestic Distribution for for first-time and novice filmmakers is is not something that's going to happen unless you're you know you get a, a kind of a video deal for a, for a genre picture. But I I think we're talking about different kinds of movies than you know sure. horror
1: films and those kinds of things. It seems though, even that even now they uh, from what I read and from what I hear and, and you know that the kind of like don't produce another horror flick or another thriller. You know, we yeah. have too many of them so it's 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 hard to know i i guess for the novice filmmaker what what about the the old the days of a guarantee where somebody could get a guarantee i guess from a distributor and then go and raise money off of that right well I again know. i think
0: those those thing, the minimum guarantees happen on larger pictures and larger meaning you know over 5 and you know under 15 where where you can't be because you're making you're essentially making a commercial film you and, and if you have a certain cast or a director that probably has a little bit more experience, there are companies, there are mid-level distribution companies that will look at those films, primarily for video rights. The, the MGs that you get out of a lot of distributors are really sort of quietly for video rights. They're not, they're not and it doesn't mean there won't be a potential for theatrical distribution, but they're really hedging against, you know, video and, and other markets. And and they do exist, you know. We had an opportunity on the film I'm doing for, for that situation, and we opted for a slightly different situation that involved a P&A commitment, which we're very happy with, which is rare, because we actually have a very strong P&A commitment attached to this movie that I'm doing. But, you know, those deals do exist, but again, not for the very small films. I, I just don't think it's realistic for anybody to think that they're going to get a minimum guarantee on something that's small or if it's if it's your first film it just doesn't happen but it can happen as you start to move up the ladder and as you're you know working in a genre like a you know to make a, a commercial movie um and you have the right cast that they like that those those MG's do exist but the, you know we're we're talking in the you know million to 2 million dollar range which which isn't bad but we're not talking three, five, ten million dollars. It's just that's not the way the industry is based right now. We're talking, you know, roughly you know, million to
1: two million on the high end. All right. Thank you. Scott, I'm going to take just a brief break and we'll be right back. Uh just long enough to say you're listening to Rexy's movie beat and the official website address is www.rexsikes.com. that's R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com. I I appreciate all your comments and support about blogs and articles and these conversations, so please feel free to email me through the website, questions for guests, keep that in mind, or if you're on the chat room when we're live, you can certainly ask a question. If you hear something coming up before I do, a networking event, a premiere, a movie opening, a party, or something along those lines, uh, you know, please contact me right away. I'll investigate it and attempt to get it up on the website in a timely fashion. All right, so thanks for listening, and I'm, I'm back to our guest. Um, Scott, uh, you know, thanks so much. And, and, and you know, we do have those listeners who are novice, and we do have those listeners who are seasoned and, and everyone in between. So, so uh, you know, your comments, uh, you know, kind of go across the board. I really do appreciate that because it allows uh, listeners at all levels to, to glean – um, information and uh, things, but let me uh, just turn this around again and go back to Home Alone or back to Mystic Pizza and say, you know, these movies that that you produced uh, really are responsible for launching the careers of some pretty important people today. <laughs>
0: well, thank you. <laughs>
1: well, I mean, you got Julia Roberts, you've got Macaulay Culkin. You, I mean, I think uh, you know the cast of Home Alone, the people that were in that, the people who are Mystic Pizza you know and and your other movies you know um drew attention to to talent that uh, you know in, in ways that we would never have known you know well i
0: mean that it was a kind of a testament to to the time you know it's uh, mystic beach is a great example of 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 what what would happen if that script showed up today you know the the questions of would it get made how would it get made you know, we, we had an opportunity because that was that project had been sitting with Sam Goldman's company and they were kind of musing about it and trying to decide what to do with it. And uh my partner and I came in and gave him a new take on the material which included the uh in the beginning of the movie, included the idea that uh the the friend JoJo who was played by Lily Taylor would be you know start off by the whole movie starts off with this wedding which wasn't in the original script and she faints uh, because she just can't do it and she can't go through with it to sort of start the conflict and the you know the the tension in the in the beginning of the movie of what's the problem and how do you, how do we solve this problem and what are, what are these three women you know what are their stories and that excited them and it allowed us to to bring on a writer and rewrite it and and, and move forward and get the movie made. And with Sam, Goldwyn at the time, you know, he, he had his own company. He had a distribution company. And he, when we started talking about who we wanted to have as three, these three characters, uh, there were a lot of people out in the industry that started hearing about this movie and about the script. And, you know, there were people who were well-known at the time. And Sam, to his credit, um, you know, gave us the opportunity as filmmakers to go get new people because we we lobbied him to say we want we we would like to have fresh faces in this movie and he said go ahead and do it and i, I gotta tell you i don't know that anybody would say that today uh, i'm not even sure he'd be able to say it today because he still has his company but it was it was a very brave decision and we went out, and we were able to, to cast, you know, a wide net with our casting director, and we we found Julia, and we found Lily Taylor. It was her first movie, and Annabeth Gish, and, and you know, made something that was, you know, somewhat historical, at least in the film business, for a budget, you know, of around $5 million, and... and uh, you know, it was it was comfortable, but but not overly produced, but but had enough money to do what we really needed to do to make a a quality film, to make a what we felt was was something which I always like to do, which is to make kind of a studio quality film for an independent budget, which is something I really believe in, and we did it, you know, and and uh, made made a commercial movie, but made a a quality independent movie at the same time, and. <clears throat> You know, I think the sad part about all that is, is that if the film was being made today, uh, first of all, I think it would be very difficult to get it made. I think uh, there would be a ton of pressure to put three actresses in the film, at least two of them, who are very, very well-known. And, and I'm not sure anybody would give anybody $5 million to make the movie. You know, I think, I think it would be closer to two or three. And uh, there's just so much pressure in the industry uh, against that kind of thing. It, it's uh, you know, it's a it's a that that's those kinds of analysis is is for me is what makes you know what's happening next in the industry and how do people get funded and how do they get their movies made the challenge because because of that those kinds of issues.
1: Um, yeah, I, I I think I mean it's it's. Disheartening. I guess is the only thing I can say. I mean, you know, when when you say that a movie like like that that was made then probably couldn't get made today, um, and the reasons why. And then, and then, you know, I mean, what do you think about these things like Paranormal Activity or Blair Witch? I mean, these these these. I guess they're they're almost a once in a lifetime kind of meteoric right. rise. To right. you know, I mean, but they're but they're unknown casts and they're. It, you know, and it, it, I guess they've just been made independently. They're not a studio. I mean, they're they're not at the level at which you're you're discussing movie making, right? Well, I mean, you know, mean,
0: you know pe- people in some ways, I think people sort of, you know, make pick pick at fun at those kinds of things, and the and the people who work in the industry, although the film is done very well, I, I think a lot of people in the industry go, oh, you know, those things happen once in a while, and for every one of those, there's We've seen, you know, thousands of things that are sent to us every day that are just junk, but, you know, so, so there's, but there's one that pops out. But I, I think there's another way of looking at it, which is it's a, it's a reaction to what's going on in the industry. When people feel compelled for personal and, you know, financial reasons to, to marshal their resources with their friends for a small amount of money, and decide they can make a movie that maybe can topple, you know, the David versus versus Goliath syndrome. I, I right. mean, I, I it's a genre, it's it's uh, you know, it's horror. But I, I, you know, for me personally, I think it's great because because and it's also sort of proving this point that people are saying, you know, what I, I they're not letting me in in the normal ways. They're not. I'm not able to get in the front door, so I'm going to go in the back door. And and I'm going to do something because, you know, I have a little talent, or I believe I have talent. We're going to make something and see if we can make a splash with it. And, and, you know, like I said, like David and Goliath, knock over the giant. And and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. In fact, in some ways, if there were more successes at that budget level, I think it would help allow – the industry and the distribution side to loosen up and understand that you can you can do these things without big names and without studios behind you and still make money because people out in the audience people out in the world you know this is i I always joke there's you know from the distribution point of view there's like you know 11 people making these decisions about you know what gets in and what doesn't get in and everybody has their empirical evidence and they all act like they know what everybody wants. But the truth is people in, in all over the country, whether it's Iowa, Kansas, you know, New Jersey, or, or Georgia, have, want to see films. They don't get to pick movies. They don't get to decide what gets made. They only get to go to the movie theater to see the things that people you know, allow to be made. So if people allowed certain kinds of films to be made, they would go see them. They would go see the films that they're really looking to see. And, and the fact is is that studio people and distribution people get very, very, very cynical about what they think everybody wants. And, and then only certain things filter through, and then you start reading articles about people saying they feel alienated at the movie theater. Well, there's, there's, there's a disconnect going on because there's the, the evidence you know, says that, that there are lots of films that people would see if they could only get to see them. So, you know, I think I think this kind of thing is great. I think ultimately it's not an exception. E- even though it's rare, I don't consider it an exception. I consider it a business model. And I think, you know, frankly, more and more people are trying it and should try it. I don't see anything wrong with it.
1: No, you know, I and,
0: are,
1: uh, go, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just yeah, thinking, I, I mean,
0: think, com- compared to point. these events like, you know, movies like 2012, not that I think there's anything wrong with the movie, but you, you watch the trailer, you know, and, I mean, every every frame is completely orchestrated to make sure that it becomes a blockbuster. There's nothing else about it in the movie. You know that when you see it. You can't assume you're going to see anything other than, you know, buildings falling and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's nice to finally see, you know, something that's done for a small budget that people go see. I mean, that that's the point. The point is people will go see movies that they hear about or they hear good or they're interested in, and they don't have to come just from studios and they don't have to be just with major stars in them. But, but a lot of the industry people, whenever this happens, say, oh, yeah, yeah, well, it was just that one, but it'll, it'll go back to the way it was tomorrow. And it, and it doesn't necessarily have to go back to the way it was tomorrow.
1: That's very cool. I mean, it's, 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 it's very optimistic. But you, you also, you know, it, it made me think in a slightly different way, uh, and I'll throw it out there, but it's, it's not orchestrated, but it's, it's almost a form of censorship. And not that anybody's censoring anybody, but, I mean, you know, somebody is, is literally choosing what you get to see and what you don't get to see, and uh, by what they make and what they don't make, it's as if I made soap. You know, I make a product and I try and get it into the retail stores. If I can't get it out there, you know, it's it's based on you know who who runs the 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 distribution into the different retail outlets. And and uh, and here's a, here are products that are made or or trying to be made that uh, can't be or aren't being released because uh, a handful of people just don't think the people want to see them. So that's a I don't know if I I did you justice in that or if I put words in your mouth, but it's a It's a fascinating concept, and the Fed went at that.
0: Well, I mean, you're you're, you know you are right. I mean, I mean whether anybody likes to say it or not, it it is a version of censorship. You know, it's a it's a marketplace censorship because those people would say, well, you know, this still is a business, and it costs a certain amount of money to release these films, and that's a reality. And the reality is, when we have to spend five, ten million, even on a small movie, we want to make sure it's going to open. And and the economics have pushed us into those kinds of decisions if there was a a more agnostic distribution platform that would change it would change you know overnight and it's and and everybody's been thinking about this for you know five to ten years about the advent of what what broadband actually means and what does it mean if you could actually make your movie and and maybe it doesn't come out theatrically but you know there's a platform with with proper marketing so that You know, if you made a movie for $3 million, but enough people saw it and paid their $4.99 or their $2.99, that it would turn a profit. You know, that's the kind of thing that people are shifting and kind of waiting for. Because when that happens, and and if that happens, it it would open up the marketplace. There's no question it would open up the marketplace to to a broader spectrum of film that people could see as they want and, and don't have to see if they don't want to. And don't have to feel compelled to go to a movie theater and spend you know twelve to fourteen dollars uh you know for one person and i think I think you know that's what we're all waiting for and we're all talking about and and it, it you know and there's a lot of people very smart people trying to figure this out and it just hasn't happened yet
1: well why couldn't i uh say release my movie on the internet absolutely free with the idea that i don't care if the movie makes a dime but i want to market uh, t-shirts and cups and hats and merchandise i want to do a tie-in with mcdonald's or something along those lines and 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 go for the you know the product off of the movie instead of the movie itself i mean well i think you could
0: i think the the only problem is like in any business you know you have to figure the price point of your product and and, and uh, you know and decide what the product should cost so you can't overprice something and you can't underprice it but you know and, and it, as as that translates to film you know you, you the, the market doesn't allow you to make a 5 million dollar movie and sell it the way you described but maybe the market allows you to make a movie for a million or 500,000 or or less and do what you described and i think that's what's still happening is that there aren't enough of these outlets and there aren't there isn't enough of an ability to do this yet at a high enough price point to make people comfortable with saying we're gonna make a three million dollar film but we don't care about theatrical you know unfortunately the 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 economics still tell you that the movies probably have to cost under a million dollars given the model you just described and then, you know, but but will that change? Hopefully, you know, and that's that's the expectation is that that'll build and grow and maybe turn into something bigger.
1: So, Scott, we have about oh twelve or thirteen minutes remaining in this conversation, and and I just wanted to, you know, we started off the conversation, and, and I'm enjoying all of this, but and we started off the conversation with the idea of what a producer does besides walk around with bags of money, and. And uh, I want to give you, you know, ample opportunity in the rest of the remaining time to, to talk, you know, again about the, the kinds of projects that you've done, or any particular challenges, or or stories from from some of your films that might help illustrate uh, to the listeners um, the the kinds of things that you, as a producer, face each day, you know, either in in development or pre-production or production or the or the distribution of a film.
0: Well um just just for more recent history uh the most recent film that i produced is uh is a film called Coming and Going and uh i was brought on by the other the other producer and director and writer Eduardo Ponti who brought me in to produce the film with him and uh it was done for a modest budget but it's a very very funny film that we're just finishing and, you know, it was a good example on, on how to maximize, you know, a relatively uh, small amount of money. Um, we we made, again, we made a, a very commercial film, uh, but at the same time sort of a very interesting independent film that has a lot of humor. It's starring Reese Darby, who uh, is an actor who has, got, has gotten known from uh, a TV show he's done called Flight of the Concords. He plays the uh, he played the manager of the band. Uh-huh. And uh, you know it's just it's just for me, it's it's a way of of taking um, everything you learn, bring people on who are professionals in the industry because there are a lot of people out of work. So there's a higher caliber of person available to be able to do films that are a little bit smaller, mix them with people who are new, who are learning, who are growing, who are building their careers, and make a high-quality film for a low budget. Um, you know, it, 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 it was a very, very satisfying experience, um, and it's very recent, and it's something I really enjoyed, and it kind of got me back to, you know, the roots of, of why everybody loves doing this, because you can you can do something with freedom. The financing was was all equity and totally um, independent, and it gave us the opportunity to really make the movie that we wanted to make. Um, <clears throat> you know, the other kinds of experiences I've had, you know, with films like Home Alone, as I described, you know, bouncing from one studio to another and, and executives sitting around a table and, and ultimately deciding like, like a you know, a Gladiator, you know, thumb up or thumbs down and, you know, everybody going thumbs down, and and passing on a project and having it end up in another studio <clears throat> you know that's an entirely different kind of experience and you know that was a battle to to tell people you know 15 million dollars isn't that different from 11 when you're when you're talking about making a big commercial movie and and that was that was a challenge but you know it's funny because you know some people just didn't see it that way and then somebody else saw it that way completely and understood what we were going to do you know with with mystic pizza you know the challenge there was to again make a very high quality movie for for a modest budget to to be able to bring on people who were new and fresh but still make a commercial enough movie that people would see it i i You know, I remember, and 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 we were very lucky at that time. Still, you could you could do this. You could let a film build. You know, you can't. Nothing can build anymore. It seems if if it's not, if it doesn't hit the first weekend, you're dead. Even if you're making a very small movie. But I remember with Mystic Pizza, that first weekend it opened. um, I was in Minneapolis doing a speaking engagement, and actually went to the theater on Friday night. And there were about five people in the theater because just nobody knew anything about this movie and didn't know any of these actors. And normally that would be the kiss of death. But what happened was word of mouth was so strong that the next weekend there were a lot of people in the theater and the next weekend even more to the point where the, the company, Sam Goldman's company, had to expand the theaters. And it built and built and built into a bigger, bigger release and uh... i think i think
1: that experience taught me a lot as well that's that amazing I mean, and that that is that uh, again has got to happen rarely though i i would imagine
0: yeah i i don't even i don't think that happens anymore it's just uh... I i mean or rarely very very rarely you know i think i think when they um, you know i don't know if paranormal activity is a good example but other films and then i do think you know, the films like Juno and those kinds of films, when they first release them, they do, they do, you know, put their toe in the water. They don't release films like that on 3,000 screens. You know, they do put it out, and they kind of, you know, close their eyes and, you know, cover their ears and wait to hear if people want to see it. And if and if the first weekend there's a reaction of like, wow, this is interesting, then they will expand it. They'll definitely expand it. So there's a, there's a, Similar model, but if I think what will happen now is if if nobody went to see the movie that first weekend, you you, you know very few people will pull the trigger on the second or third weekend.
1: I, I I I certainly understand that. Yeah, let me ask you. I'm going to go to say IMDb, and if if I look at IMDb, and you um, you've got a number of things in post production, you've got a number of things in pre production, you've got a number of things in development, and even things that that aren't listed in development that, that you are doing, and uh, how do you how do you do all that? I mean, how do you how do you how do you track through all these different projects?
0: Well, I think I think any you know as a producer, I think you have to be involved in more than one project at any given stage because things things come up, things go drop back, an actor attaches to a project, and that project speeds up ahead of two others and two two lay back, and you know it's. Uh, I I don't think it's it's you can really be single-minded uh, when you're a producer. Now maybe when you're making your first film you need to be, but afterwards it's just too hard. The industry is just too fickle to spend a year and a half on one project because if it doesn't happen for whatever reason, you're out there with one project and you have nothing else. So for me, you know, I like I like looking at other things. I like writers and directors and i like when they bring projects to my partner and i and it's and we enjoy working on them and seeing how we can push them along and, and, and again some of those projects are are sort of you know in a certain place they're quiet other projects are moving ahead because there are different attachments that start to happen and money starts to attach and you know each one sort of has its time um You know, and I enjoy working on them that way, but you know some some people you know glom onto too much and and i and I sort of have a limit about how much i 'll do like that because at some point you can't you can't focus on it if there're too many things and you 're never focusing on anything, and then you 'll never get anything done so i I kind of have learned what I think my my limit is for you know development versus things that are actively you know about to go into production.
1: Now, as a, as a producer who has seen the project through development and into production, you then also are going to see it through post-production and into distribution. What? Right. How, does, how does that tail? And now we've got about five minutes. Uh, you know we won't be able to do it justice in, in this conversation, but how does that end process? Can you talk about that too, for our listeners? Yeah, well,
0: I mean, post. I, I actually enjoy post production because everything quiets down. There aren't you know 150 people standing around asking everybody, you know, do you need this? Do you need that? What are we doing? You know, it's it's the editing room. It's the director and the editor and the the process of of music and sound. Uh, I really enjoy a lot. So I think, you know, I like post because post you really make the movie. You know, post is to some extent, you know, filmmaking because it's real filmmaking because you're actually putting the film together literally. And you see it you see it come together and it's a uh, editing is is another rewrite and you know sound changes a film and music changes a film. So, you know, it's in a very important process because you're really building, you know, the final movie. And and once you're done with that, especially these days, you know you have to start setting up how are you going to get this film distributed are you going to submit to festivals is it a commercial enough movie where you can actually work with a either a producer's rep or yourself to set up screenings for all the you know mid mid level and 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 you know studio you know many many major type distributors can you just set up screenings so they can see it or is it definitely a festival dependent film the very small films of course tend to be festival dependent the slightly larger films tend to be who are more more commercially oriented tend to work for screenings and setting up you know private screenings and that kind of thing and you know producers now I always laugh about it because when I made films like Mystic Pizza and Home Alone we were making them for distributors for studios and they were distributors so we handed the movie to them when we were done and there was this entire group of people who did the rest of the work, did the marketing, and, you know, they. now you finish the movie <laughs> as a producer, and there's another year's worth of work afterwards, uh, non-paid, I might add, generally. So it's a, it's a very different thing for most producers, is that when you finish the film, you, sometimes your work has just started as a producer. Uh, and then you have to spend, you know, you can spend up to a year, you can spend up to a year and a half, Selling your film if it doesn't sell right away, and you're you're negotiating with people, or people are watching to see how many festivals you get into before they pull the trigger on making a deal with you, and you know it's a long process. It's a long, long process now that is different than it was a few years ago.
1: And and I'm sure there's a ton of information that we could glean from that. I, I'm I'm really fascinated about that that uh, you know the things that you've brought up. Um, i'm almost hesitant at the same time uh, you know to ask again because I know you're so busy that if if we can schedule it if if you would mind coming back and and talking more about that post production and, and the distribution side to it uh given your schedule uh, you've you've been so generous but uh if you would if if we can arrange that would you be willing to come back yeah. and,
0: and discuss yeah that? definitely i mean the distribution side for people i think you know clearly is uh I mean, making the movie is enough of a challenge, but but you know, getting it distributed is is frankly a bigger challenge these days. So, I'd be very happy to come to to address that specifically.
1: Well, that's fantastic. So our listeners can look forward to part four, and and I think it's interesting though that it's bookended because you know we kind of started to started our conversation in in part one by saying, you know, most producers work you know in the development phase. And they don't make any money at that point, point. and you know, I mean, they're working as a labor of love to get something developed. And then you go back to the post-production phase and the distribution stage, and you're back to, uh, you know, working for no money again. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yes, And which the middle that you actually make something uh yeah, you know? something.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I, I, you know, it is, it is, it is, it is amazing. Um, you know, you have been an absolute wealth of information, as I said, and you, you've provided so much, and, and certainly we appreciate it. By the way, Gospel Hill is on, uh, I think, the movie channel. Um, I oh, just, yeah,
0: that's right, it is.
1: It I, is. I, I had not seen it before, and I talked to Ron Coleman the other day. I said, I've just now t it, and I, and I plan to watch it. I was going to watch it last night, and I wasn't able to. I had, I got involved with my children, so that's, uh, that is a movie that I want to watch. That's with Danny Glover and... Um, Was it Angela Bassett?
0: Yeah, Angela Bassett and Julia Stiles and Sam Jackson does a cameo. And it's a a beautiful little movie that, you know, we just didn't get over the hump for a a theatrical release, which is a shame. But it's, uh, you know, people seem to be watching it on the movie channel and people seem to be renting it, so that's good. But uh, it's a quality movie and a a really wonderful study of, uh, you know, small-town politics in the South. And, you know, I'm very proud of it.
1: Awesome. Well, I am uh, proud to have had you as a guest so many times and, and looking forward to that in the future. Uh, I want to wish you uh, uh, the rest of a good week uh, and uh, have a good time with your family. And, and you and I will talk about uh, when you can next come on and talk about uh, the distribution side to movie making.
0: All right, good. Thank you very much. I enjoy doing this.
1: Oh, so, well, thank you, Scott, so much. And uh, again, have a great day. I will talk to you very shortly. All right. Bye. Thank you, sir. Bye. Again, I just want to thank uh, Mr. Scott Rosenfeld uh, for being on uh, Rex Ike's Movie Beat today and for all the times in the past, uh, as I'd like to thank uh, uh, my other guests as well. But I want to thank you, the readers and listeners of Movie Beat. And we've got you know many more exciting upcoming interviews. Uh, we'll have Scott back. I've got Trilby Jeeves coming up next. She's an acting coach, an actor, and a writer. Uh, and she's going to be talking about the process of acting. She does workshops uh, for her in- buffoonery, so you're going to want to tune in and learn more about what that is and uh, and how actors can benefit by what Trilby offers you. It's Trilby Jeeves, so stay tuned to Movie Beat. And, um, and thanks so much for sharing uh, this website, these interviews with all your friends and your movie contacts. Please do tweet them when you know that they're coming up, Facebook and MySpace them, email your friends and share them with your industry contacts, and connections, you can become a member of the Rex Sykes Movie Beat Facebook group by clicking on the group link at my profile page on Facebook. So everybody, I want you to have a fabulous day. Make your movies, complete your projects. Until we meet the next time, uh, that's a wrap.